The Hennessy Report from Keystone Partners, a free-flowing conversation with leaders in the HR community, talking about themselves, the industry, and their work. Brought to you in cooperation with NERA, the Northeast Human Resources Association. Welcome to the Hennessy Report. I'm Dave Hennessy. We have a four-part series of podcasts coming to you following the NERA conference. The first two feature fellow NERA board members, Cynthia Ring and Doreen Nichols. And the following two are two of the keynotes from the NERA conference, Margaret Spence and Tim Sackett. So we'll give you a little flavor of what you missed if you didn't make it down to the conference, or for those of you who were there, want to hear a little bit more from some of the people that participated at the conference, here's your chance. Also, there was one other keynote speaker, Shane Snow, and you can find another interview with him at Phil Strazulo's LinkedIn profile. And first up is the Chief People Officer at Harvard Pilgrim Healthcare, Cynthia Ring. She also happens to be Chair of the Board of NERA, and we interviewed Cynthia in front of a live audience, and I think you'll enjoy this far-ranging and fun interview. Next up on the podcast is Doreen Nichols, Vice President of Talent, Culture, and Organizational Development at Eversource Energy. And here's our discussion with Cynthia Ring. Welcome back to HR Live. My name's Dave Hennessy from Keystone Partners, also host of the Hennessy Report. And we've brought the Hennessy Report to the NERA conference again, two years in a row. And we have another guest who happens to be chair of the board of NERA, as you know already from seeing her on stage just an hour ago. Please welcome Cynthia Ring, the chief people officer of Harvard Pilgrim Healthcare. Cynthia, welcome to the podcast. It's good to have you on as a guest in this live audience here at the conference. Well, thank you. Glad to be here. Thank you for asking me. Cynthia, we always like to start the podcast finding out a little bit about our guests, about their background before we jump into HR and their their company. So as you think back in your life, was there an inflection point as you look back on it now that informed how your career developed, maybe helped lead to what you do today? So many inflection points, and I think the one that stands out the most to me is something my father had said to me in the way that he raised us. So I'm the youngest of four um, and the only girl in my family, and my father never thought he could have a girl because his family was five boys. So my mother um, had me, and back in the day, the fathers were not in the hospitals. So when my grandfather called him and said that it was a girl, he said, quote, what do I do with a girl? So that sort of transpired into the way that he brought me up, which was he didn't know what to do with a girl. So he was like, if the boys can mow the lawn, you have to mow the lawn. If the boys can change a tire, you need to change a tire. If you can wash the dishes, they have to wash the dishes. So there was really gender agnostic behaviors in my family. And I think that that has always informed my path and my journey um, in my life, whether it be sports that I was way too small to do. I was recruited by my seventh grade gym teacher for basketball. He was the varsity coach for um, high school and he was my gym teacher in seventh grade. I was little of nothing just like I am right now. And um, he recruited me to play varsity basketball when I was in seventh grade. I played for six years. And so I think just having that, I can be anything I wanna be and 
you're not going to be treated any different because of your stature different than your brothers has just set a path for me to to do what I do. And I know that continues today because she was just sharing a story with me privately <laughs> about being at a Patriots tailgate, beating her brother in a cornhole game, and then some sort of athletic jump roping competition. So it it's still there. Very competitive. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there's a lot of news. Well, first news, new chair of the board. Congratulations. Thank you. And it's fun to serve on your board with you. And I was wondering if you could just share a little bit about why you decided to join NERA and take this responsibility as chair, what your vision is for continuing the great tradition. Yeah, well, as we've heard all throughout this conference, the impact that NERA has had on our profession and different individuals within that profession I'm hugely proud to be a part of HR, and I did not start my career in HR, so I what was What was the start, if you can my, do an interlude? My start of career was general manager of um, Pier 1 Imports from Atlanta to New England, so I always say that I ran a little boutique called Pier 1. Um, <laughs> so I did not start traditionally in HR, yeah, but I'm profoundly thankful for the practice and for the people that I've met and shaped um, myself as a leader. And I think NERA has a tremendous opportunity in front of it as it relates to what HR is today, what the future of HR can be from a business strategy perspective that we have with the CEO and the CFOs of all the companies that we lead is just an enormously um, important responsibility that we have to the cost of everything in our ecosystem. And so I'm, I'm very passionate about that, excited about that, and, and really getting the most out of our greatest asset, which is our human you know, spirit, talents, and, and capital within our organizations. Excellent. And you mentioned that you started in general management. How does the, your experience in general management help you be a better HR chief people officer today? How does it inform your work now? Yeah, I think, you know, having P&L responsibility and really um, having to run a business and construct teams, put teams together, hit your profit margins, everything in the business actually relates to what you do in HR. You know, so I, I always say that I spend the least amount of my time doing HR work. The most amount of my time in this role is running the business with the CEO and the CFO. It's understanding how to leverage strategy through the talent within the organization, how to construct teams so that you get the greatest productivity, how to hold people accountable and move on. And I think, you know, coming from the business, I have a, an appreciation for the importance of us being able to effectively manage the highest budget item is labor uh, and your fringe costs. And so really understanding how to manage money, I think is an important aspect of you have to start backwards, right? HR. How do we make money? Let's build the team yeah. to do that, right? Yep. Great. Well, you have news at Harvard Pilgrim. Everybody knows that there's a merger coming with regulators, an acquisition, a merger. How would you say it, Chris? It's a combination. It's a combination. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thank you for the coaching from the audience. I appreciate that. So this combination, can you talk about the value proposition and what you're excited about if if it goes through, which we hope it does for you. Yes, um, I can talk about it. Um, we're very excited. I think it's a great opportunity for our marketplace to combine Harvard Pilgrim and Tufts Health Plan 
together and what that could mean for our ecosystem as it relates to healthcare, as it relates to access, affordability, improvement of quality, influence on pricing within the marketplace so that we drive prices and affordability um, for our members, for all the constituents within that healthcare ecosystem. I think there's an enormous opportunity to take what each one of our companies does today independently combine that, create a greater level of influence to just do more of it within the marketplace. Right. And as you talk about the combination, I quickly and I may imagine many people are thinking, all right, we're bringing two cultures together. It's always a challenge, right? I'm not going to ask you to talk about that because it hasn't been approved. But could you talk about what's important to you about the values and culture at Harvard Pilgrim? Yeah. So we're a 50-year-old company. We're steeped in our value system, our beliefs, our core beliefs as it relates to our promise to the marketplace, to our members. And so we're all about innovation. We're all about inclusion. We're all about dependability and collaboration. Those are our four pillars. And we really look to see how those stand up every day with all of our employees. Our rewards and recognition platform is really centered around our core values. And so we're looking for people to demonstrate them, live them, and then we're recognizing and appreciating for those same values and how we show up both with each other, like as team members, but also how we show up in the community, what we do to provide back to the communities that we serve, and all the constituents that sort of touch the work that we do at Harvard Pilgrim. Oh, uh, there was a Wall Street Journal article, you and I talked about it, talking about how we thought it's right to hire for culture fit, right? We're always taught that and that's a, a good practice. How do you make sure you're not creating a homogenous culture? If we're always trying to hire people like ourselves through employer referrals, we can have a lot of group think or same think. Yeah. I was just wondering if you what your thoughts on that. I think it's an interesting dilemma. It is an interesting dilemma. And if you think about HR and the evolution of it, it always used to be a conversation of fit, right? And so to your point though, if you're fitting what you have and you actually don't start with a base of difference, then what are you building? And so it comes down to what is your base? You know, what have you built and how are you actually making sure that it mirrors the communities or the marketplace that you serve? So I, it's something that I've said for a very long time, especially on the front end of delivery of care. I spent a number of years on the front end and it was super, super important to always realize that as we saw patients come in and their families come in, that they come from different cultures, they have different languages, um, they come from different backgrounds, they have different socioeconomic situations, and to really make sure that as those patients and their families came into our organization, that we had a population that actually mirrored the members that we serve. And I, I really feel that that's an important thing, and if you have that baseline, then fit's not a bad word, right? I think right. Some, sometimes what is, you The say definition fit. of fit, right. Because if you're starting with a base of difference, then you're actually are, are bringing in the referrals that you need to continue that innovation, to continue that difference, to continue to make sure that you have programs that are relevant and matter to all of your constituent populations. There's been a lot of change with HR, and you talked about it, and it's much more business focused. There's also been some title changes. You're a chief people officer, and I've noticed, I don't know if all of you, it seems like every new head of HR now is seeming to get the chief people officer title. And Phil Stadula, who's on our board, who's very does a lot of analytics, he found out that chief people officers get paid 30% more on average than chief HR officers. So I think that's interesting. And I'd like you to comment on the changing role, the changing title, and what do you think this means for the future of HR? 
Well, I like that stat, and I'm going to bring it back to my boss. Um, <laughs> all kidding aside, I do think I didn't come from HR, so I don't have a marriage to that word, and I actually don't think that we manage resources that are human. I, you know, I, I think what we're trying to do is really shape humanity in the way that we treat um, individuals and, and what they can bring to the organization. I think having the title of Chief People Officer to me is a broader, more descriptive title for what we do, which is to really think about how people impact our whole business. And it's not just about programs or initiatives and things that you do out of HR, but it's about your business strategy. It's about your your stakeholder groups. And it to me, it has a different connotation, a more strategic, visionary connotation of mobilizing and maximizing your business through the promise of people. Excellent. As you know, as well as anybody, Keystone produces this podcast in cooperation with NERA. And NERA has a emerging HR professionals group, so look into that if you're interested. And we have a question of the podcast coming from, I wonder if we have a NERA emerging HR professional here in the audience. Oh, we do. Oh, oh do, do you have a question? Hi, I am an HR emerging professional. My name is Amanda. I work at 3Play Media located in Boston, Massachusetts. And my title is office manager slash HR assistant. Cynthia, my question for you is, do you have any perspective on shifting the brand of HR? So many times individuals think HR is just hiring and firing and not the other critical areas that the function focuses on. So I think we could spend a lot of time on this question. Um, but simply said, I, I, HR is so much more than hiring and firing, but it does seem to have that um, perception still. You know, for me, it, it goes back to something we've celebrated in the last couple of days, which is, you know, how do we bring about the best in everybody? Um, and so that's not really about hiring or firing. It's, it might be about the hiring part, but then what are you doing to cultivate an environment where somebody can actually bring their best talent to work? So focused on development, transforming people's livelihood through their journey um, in the organization by capitalizing on their skills they have. So for me, like in a perfect world, when someone says, and this we get this question all the time, you know, what do you do? What is HR? What is it that you do? And people say, I think you hire and you fire people. And you say, you know what? I transform people's lives. That's what we do. We help them realize their greatest assets. We help them realize the business strategy that they came to perform. And we give them all the tools that they need to do that. We enrich people's lives. That's, to me, if we could get that to be said when someone says, what does HR do? We enrich people's lives. We help people transform their lives. I'll remember that. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Amanda. Can you talk, we, we hear from emerging HR professionals, what are some career paths that emerging HR professionals should be thinking about if they want to be in your chair someday? How do you think about career pathing in the function? Yeah, it's, it's a really good question, and I don't think it's as linear as people might think, right? I actually do think there continues to be a movement to really look at people who have run successful pieces of your business and might have some really good people's skills as it relates to building their own teams and you know developing people's careers and, and looking at those individuals and saying what parts or functions of HR would they mobilize to be better than what it is. If you're in HR and you're thinking about 
trying to be in this seat. I think you, you really need to understand the total reward strategy to be successful in this seat. The more financial acumen that you have, the more successful you'll be in this particular role. It doesn't mean that the other parts of HR are unimportant or, um, or less important, but they're, those are more easily learned. Um, whereas if you can't speak the language of the business and you can't be investigative enough, in, have enough inquiry, be curious enough, courageous enough to go into any new business, whether you've ever been in that industry before or not, and simply be vulnerable and go right up to somebody, anybody, and say, tell me how every dollar flows through this company. And if that person doesn't know the answer to that question, find out somebody who does. Because the only way you're gonna get in this chair is if you know that question and you know every point of disruption to that dollar bill being successfully either reinvested in your company, your marketplace, your community, or your people. And so you gotta know all your expenses, everything that comes in, and know all of the major disruption points so that when you're doing anything from a human capital perspective, it's with the line of sight of mitigating the disruption and the drain on the expenses and capitalizing, enhancing, and maximizing the profitability because you understand how money flows through. Carlos shared with me earlier today that uh, fellow board member and biker and um, college football fan, you know, that there was a situation in his company where there was an IT problem today. And I think if you ask an HR assistant um, or someone younger in their career, because it doesn't, it doesn't mean age, it just means hasn't been in other parts of HR, you ask them, does that matter to you? And most of them might say, no, because I'm not an IT, it doesn't matter to me at all. But in my business, that matters to me. Because if there's an IT problem, it means we're not paying claims. If we're not paying claims, we're not making money. If we're not making money, we're not reinvesting in our people, our community, our marketplace, and everything that our business does. So even though I have nothing to do with Deborah Norton's world of IT, when there's an IT problem, my alerts go up and I say, how do I support that team? What is it that we need to do? How do I alleviate that problem from the, for the organization? Because that's gotta be our contribution as HR professionals to understand that that was a disruption to the flow of money into our company. A question we ask, this is the only question we ask on every single episode, and it's, if you could write a letter of career advice or professional advice or any advice, to your 25 or 30 year old self, so it's more personal. What would you write to Cynthia? Yeah, I would, um, it's a really good question, and I did think about it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's tricky, because I think there's so many things I would write, I think it would be a novel. Um, <laughs> well, we only have about another half hour, or an hour. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, a couple things. Lessons, I would say, is be true to yourself, and be comfortable with yourself. Because when I was 25, I wasn't. And be present is another. When I was 25, I was not. And I think the other is to really guard the things that matter to you. I see myself as somebody who has very strong convictions to the things that I'm passionate about. And so that's never been a question, but you know, putting yourself first. One of the things I did not understand, appreciate, or really even know when I was 25 is if you don't take the oxygen mask, like if you're sitting in an airplane and that thing drops down, 
and you don't put that oxygen mask on yourself first, you're no good for anyone else. So the biggest thing that I would write in that letter is understand what you need to do for yourself in order to serve others. Because when you're 25 and you're just running to the next thing and you're looking at everybody else who's achieved where you're trying to go, the last thing that you do is put that mask on for yourself. And the first thing that you give up is that personal time, is the mask for yourself. And what you don't realize is you're in your own way because you're running and you're going nowhere because you didn't do the mask first. So if I could, if I could go back, it would be that lesson. Well, that leads to my next question because you're chair of the board of NERA, you lead a chief people officer at Harvard Pilgrim, you have a young family. I understand you get up at 4.30 a.m. every day and work out. So how do you balance all these things? How do you keep the mask on you? What gives you energy? Yeah, you know, I think what gives me energy is, you know, my family. And I think there is just an inner energy of, and maybe that's, again, always trying to be as good as my brothers or being able to do what my family can do. So I'm driven in a way that, you know, sometimes is healthy and sometimes isn't, if I'm being honest. But the things that give me energy are being outside, you know, anything to do with not being in a building. If I can just see the skies, but just that appreciation for the things around you. I live in the middle of nowhere. I mean, I see big turtles go across the street every day, flocks of turkeys, deer, rabbits, cows in my backyard, horses in my backyard that are not mine, by the way. They're just moseying from the, from the farm down the street into my backyard. When I'm driving and I have a long commute, the thing that gives me the most joy is when something in nature I can see. My kids get so annoyed with me and so does my husband because I will pull over on the side of the street when you shouldn't be pulling over where, I, where I'm pulling over just because I saw something that I just want to take 30 seconds more to appreciate the beauty of that. I've always been like that. I don't know if it has to do with growing up in the woods, you know, and, and, and my father coming from a, a farm life. But that gives me energy, that little glimpse of happiness, like the rabbit, you know, just running past the car and hope to goodness I don't squish it, is really what gives me energy to make it through my day. What's a book that changed your life? Uh, easy, Shackleton's Way. Um, if you haven't read it, I highly encourage you to read it. It is one of the greatest leadership books. I read it when I was in my undergrad program and I just fell in love with the inspirational story of being trapped in the Antarctica for two years. Uh, At least you're outside, what yes, you like. you're outside. There was not a lot of trees, but, but it, it's just an amazing survival story, an amazing team story, an amazing grit, and you know all the things that I just think are inspirational about what we do every day to make things work and to survive um, and thrive. All right. Thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. <laughs> Thank you very <laughs> Thank you so much. much for being a guest. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Hennessy Report from Keystone Partners. Be sure to subscribe to listen to all of our conversations with leaders in HR. Go to keystonepartners.com and click on the podcast button.